This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing, and I've got Oscar Kajubski and Chris Perry on the show today from the founders of First Mover. And Chris has been on the podcast before, and it's the first time for Oscar. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Great. Yeah, we've got some good stuff to talk about. So I'll just give everyone an intro to you both who, if anyone's not familiar with you, so Oscar is the Chief Growth Officer at First Mover and a global e-commerce leader with 18 years of experience leading digital transformation for global, mid-size and startup companies. Prior to co-founding First Mover, Oscar has held various digital transformation leadership roles across Kellogg's, Mondelez, Kimberly Clark and multiple startup manufacturers. And Chris Perry is the Chief Learning Officer at First Mover on a mission to help empower first movers, both people and brands, to win in a disruptive marketplace. As a CPG e-commerce practitioner, executive educator and advisor, he has led e-commerce and digital transformation at Reckitt, Wellpet and Kellogg's and was most recently VP of Executive Education at Edge by Essential. And so the reason I've got Chris and Oscar on the show today is to share the news about a new ebook that you launched this week called Sheared. Sheared is about shedding your coat of conformity in the age of e-commerce. And the idea is to help fellow first movers free their organizations from the herd mentality and accelerate go-to-market change and omni-channel leadership. So tell me what compelled you to put this ebook together? So both of us have a lot of passion for this space from you know a decade to two decades of digital and e-commerce and CPG experience. And we have immense respect for everyone, you know, past, present, and future who lead and work in this space. But what is a challenge is that e-commerce and digital, as two of the more recent disruptions in this space, had been prevalent pre-COVID, right? COVID just accelerated the change. And so it's kind of like, especially since COVID, everyone knows that this is happening. They might be denying it or avoiding it, but they know that it's happening. And this goes all the way up to the top, you know, with leadership steering, you know, these massive, you know, titanics you know, trying to steer around all these disruptive icebergs, if you will. But it's not that they don't know it's happening and that arguably, whether they can articulate or not, that they don't know why it's important. Oscar and I both have still seen, despite everyone talking about it, understanding that it's happening, understanding its importance, they still don't, I don't want to say do anything about it. Now I say that that's unfair. They do a lot about it, but not enough to actually get their whole organization over the change curve. And what we're not doing is breaking that cultural conformity of, we call it sheared, really kind of playing off this idea of a sheep theme, not to be disrespectful, but to kind of poke a little bit at the funny irony of all of this, that despite disruption, we're still kind of acting like sheep. 
and we can talk to some of what that means, but we observe this every day across organizations and they're wonderful organizations, amazing brands, amazing people. But even sometimes the first movers, the leaders, the e-com leaders are being forced to conform back to the, the herd, if you will, because that's how they have to operate within the corporate constraints. So it's just, we want to draw awareness, not for why e-com matters, but how we respond to the fact that e-com matters. And I know Oscar has a lot of perspective on this too. Yeah, I think, you know, no matter how you look at it, we are in a business of change management, right, as an industry. So I think from that perspective, we need to kind of be able to change the way we are thinking, change those organizations. You know, when I was always joining CPGs, people were saying, CPGs are slow-moving ship, right? So how do we actually change that? So I think, you know, in general, we are trying to figure out how to help people you know, change their behavior, be more effective as leaders. And, you know, where the path's going to go, it's up to them to decide. But we can actually show them a few things that they can do. And I think to that point, Oscar, what we hear is people like, we need to change. Like, I think at like three national sales meetings, even including ones we've been at, the theme was change. And, you know, just like growth is a strategy, even though that's not a strategy, that's the result of a strategy, right? But change is the theme. And yet what's interesting, no one actually lays out what it takes to change. It's like, if I just say the word enough, we'll grow because I said growth seven times. Or if I say change, we'll just transform. We'll be a butterfly tomorrow. Like, you know, but, and I know nobody really thinks that like when you say this out loud back to someone, nobody actually, oh, if I just say the word change, we'll do it. But it's almost like, well, I said it. So I kind of thought it would happen. Well, you got to do stuff about it, right? And obviously it takes the entire herd, so to speak, to become non-sheep-like leaders to lead that change. But we wanted to lay out like more of a tangible, actionable approach to how you can actually drive digital transformation and change management. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got a question on that. I'll share a little story as an entry point. A couple of years ago, I spoke with a prospective client of Bobsled who was really struggling with this exact issue in her organization and basically told me there's no buy-in from leadership. They don't see Amazon, for example, as a real opportunity. It's just a fad. (laughs) There's no budget for anything new. I'm a team of one, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking in my head, man, if that were me, I'd be hightailing it out of there because that sounds miserable and I'd rather go where I'm appreciated And, you know, that probably says more about me (laughs) than her, but to her credit, she stuck around. But that's the risk that these companies take is that there are people in the organization who are forward thinking and ultimately a lot of them will feel alienated and leave and create a self-fulfilling prophecy that e-commerce is not worth it. So my question to you is how do you suggest the people on the battle lines, really, the e-commerce professionals think about whether to stay and fight the good fight and change behaviors or opinions within their company versus sort of cutting bait and moving on to a company that embraces innovation. Like how long should you stay on the ship for? That is a great question. I think both Oscar and I at different points have felt like we were on the island of misfit toys 
And so, Oscar, I know you've got many a personal experience and then observations here, and I can follow you up. Yeah, I mean, so a few things, right, about this. Number one is grass is not always greener somewhere else, right? The job is change management. The job is resilience. So we have to have specific qualities to be able to be successful at this job, right? So some of it is going to be a DNA. Personally, would I be successful at a company like P&G, where it has very established processes, it sets it in its way, it's pretty successful in e-commerce, and it's more about you know conforming to what is the current strategy, philosophy, leadership, you know, and that's much harder to actually drive change and a positive progress there, right? Versus a company that might be in a little bit of a disarray. So. Throughout my career, I always tried to pick the assignments where, you know, I felt like I could make an impact, right? So I was looking actually at Kimberly Clark. I was looking at Mondelez. I was looking at Kellogg. And it's like, you see, when I come in, I actually can see what I can do for the next 24 months. So that helped me to actually make that decision about, you know, should I join the company or not? Where I was doing a lot of bad things and not so good, it's assessing is how is this company culture, right? Because I'm fundamentally came into all of those different companies as a startup guy, right? So I was really crappy at assessing the company culture to kind of understanding how that's going to play out. Are they going to be receptive to my changes, right? Am I going to be this pink ship that's going to show up at the sea of white sheep? And basically, I will never fit in. So that change management actually was, and kind of understanding the company culture was something that, you know, you really have to look hardly to assess, are they going to be receptive to these ideas? Are you going to fit in? You know, the problem we have is like, if you don't have the initial traction of fitting in within that specific companies, it's going to be hard to really impact, you know, and make a positive impact on the whole company. So I think from that perspective, you have to kind of get better at listening. You have to get better at coming in and talking into the people and seeing, you know, what type of leaders are being successful at that specific company. So that will require a lot of time. That will require a lot of network. That will require a lot of maturity. It's hard to get somebody that is in their late 20s and early 30s to be an expert. It's like, hey, I know exactly what I'm getting to and I, I know exactly what I need to do. You know, early in the career, we're all rolling the dice and just trying to make an impact. And if you see a lot of the careers in e-commerce, a lot of people are progressing very rapidly. It's very easy to see somebody that jumped from a senior manager to the director, to VP, to SVP. So like people making those moves very quickly. And a lot of the times by jumping from a company to a company, because it's very easy to do it based on the resume, right? But I think fundamentally, you know, there's only so many companies you can go to. There is not really a perfect company out there. But there is also a lot of e-commerce practitioners. So we're also competing for those best assignments, you know, with each other. So it's not so easy versus what it seems, you know, on paper. And then, you know, lastly, I will tell you, it's like one thing that's going to also change is leadership. You know, you can come in to an organization and six months later, you might have a completely different executive leadership and which might not be a good fit for you or might be the reverse, you know, like might be a better fit for you. So some of the things you will not be able to control, but you know what was always great for me in e-commerce as a functional you know, thing was that I was basically never able to predict the future. I Chris? second everything Oscar said. I would say 
just to build on a little bit, I would say I am easily deflated by people who don't share passion about what seems to be a clear area to focus on. It's not like you have to like what I like, but like you can't not, I don't say you have to like disruption, but you need to own it because it's happening to you, whether you want it or not. So when people don't show any level of, when they show more sheep-like behavior, like, oh, we'll be fine. No, you won't be fine. I'm, maybe I'm the boy who cried wolf, but for sheep, that's a good thing to do. But I'm easily deflated. So I'm, I wear my heart on my sleeve. So I, what I've had to learn is to Oscar's point, you got to be resilient and stay the course a little bit if you've done that initial listening and assessing before you join an organization, because it's going to take you know, education and building trust and relationships and finding out what it takes to change individual leaders' mindsets. Like you got to work the room. And that's what, why actually I found a lot of passion and why, why we do a lot of education at First Mover industry and custom you know, trainings is I have a great passion for figuring out how to unlock those aha moments for people where it's like even just something simple as like, how do I think about digital shelf versus physical shelf? Or how do I think about you know the principles that got me here in my portfolio management in-store and how that's not the same online. So, but you have to work the room. But what I do think is important to note though, you may join a company and you may be, we have to think of this as Oscar said, as a journey, but you might be the first baton carrier, right? You may be the first relay race carrier. I paved some ways with my early teams and then we moved on and then another team came in, right? And that's okay because I hit the ceiling of the change that I could lead at that time before people had certain biases or, you know, familiarity bias with me and our team. And so it's okay to move on. I don't like hopping anything, but like, and I never did it opportunistically, but it's okay to move on if you realize that you've done what you can do and you want to take what you've learned and take it to someone who's ready for the second baton or the third baton. So I think that's an important part of this. But to Oscar's point, the grass is not always greener. The great resignation, I love these people that everybody's changing jobs only to go to the same job just with a different company. But I do want to call out if there's anyone out there who is the next level up leader who's hiring those first movers, those change leaders in different areas, you've got to make some room for them. They're obviously new cultural add-ons to your company, so they've got to blend in too. But make sure that you don't deflate them up front because then they're going to regret why they came. And then secondly, I always say this to leaders, if your change leaders stop talking in the room or they stop offering ideas or they stop asking questions, you're in trouble. Because if they aren't doing it, either they've checked out or they don't feel like they can make any difference anymore. And they will. Yeah. Check. Hey, everyone, Kiri here. I just wanted to let you know about some proprietary new research that we're releasing at Bobsled Marketing on January 27 called the Amazon Maturity Matrix. This is a study that we've done looking at 100 brands that we work with at Bobsled Marketing and drawing from our experience of nearly seven years of managing brands on Amazon and learning about when clients are sort of mature in their thinking and approach towards Amazon, which generally means that we can execute much faster and achieve superior results for those clients. So we did some analysis and found some really interesting things that we're going to be sharing on January 27 via a webinar and a subsequent report. So a snapshot of what you'll learn from the Amazon Maturity Matrix. 
there's the matrix that defines all stages of Amazon maturity for retail brands. Learn what your brand's Amazon power animal might be and what changes are required to be more successful on Amazon in that framework. The six approaches and mindsets that Amazon mature brands have. A new framework for identifying meaningful Amazon KPIs and eight ways to educate your internal team about the Amazon imperative and create change from within. So join us for this webinar and report the Amazon Maturity Matrix. You can find it on the website at bobsledmarketing.com. Really great points. Thank you for sharing that. So I'd like to talk about Sheared for a sec, and it's a good segue because these are all themes that are discussed in the ebook. So you identify the behaviors fencing e-commerce professionals in and the industry in and the eight change factors that enable our organizations to hop the fence of change for long-term growth. Can you share a couple of behaviors from the ebook to give listeners a taste of the content? 100%. And what's funny is most of the audience out there is going to be like, yep, like we can almost do like, you know, we call them bad behaviors to play off the sheep. So my <laughs> wife suggested that pun and it was very appropriate. The bad behaviors, and we use bad because we're not really saying you're bad for it. It's probably unintended behaviors, but we could probably have bad behavior bingo if we really want to, because everyone is experiencing these. But you know, it's silos, right? And those aren't new to us, but they're still, we see them all the time. Like we see people justify them verbally to us, like when we're talking to them and, you know, it's silos, it's risk aversion, right? Even though the whole point of responding to disruption is to take calculated risk and everybody talks about testing and learning, but nobody wants to do it because we might fail. Well, isn't that the whole point? Like, so that you learn like bureaucracy, right? Just the oh, we're going to have to go through 17 flaming hoops and you'll have to ride the elephant to the ringmaster. Like, why? Why are we doing that? We add like 17 layers of complexity for something that a startup could have already finished by the time we finished explaining the process. But I think, and I know Oscar, (laughs) we have like therapy sessions all the time. But the thing is that when we say that fence, that just like fencing us in, there is no fence. There's no fence. Like, when people are like, oh, we can't do that, or we can't mm. say that word, somebody will be upset. What word? Like the word omni-channel? Or, oh, yeah, we can't. Like that makes this team upset. We're like boxing ourselves in yep. for nothing. Like, you know, so totally. Oscar, I don't know if you'd add to that. I mean, I know you've seen yeah. a number of interesting behaviors. You know, I think the, a little bit of what's happening within the industry in general is that we are underestimating the amount, the the number one rate of change and how technology-centric this world is becoming, you know, technology and data-centric. And we still kind of are trying to run kind of like, let's say before the industrial revolution, there was an agriculture culture where everybody was saying is like, oh, you know, we're going to be farmers, you know, forever, right? And then somebody comes in and just completely changes the landscape and suddenly we don't need so many farmers because we can actually produce food at scale. We are, because of automation and just in general, a little bit of a cusp of that big change that is happening is, but the organizations are just very slowly adapting to it. I don't think they're actually recognizing that if we don't de-silo, you know, we're going to have a massive issue, right? Because we're going to have all of those teams working towards different, you know, kind of goals. But 
you know, I always look at it also from an exercise perspective. Let's say you have a good capability in the e-commerce team and the e-commerce team is a bicep, right? But you basically are not working on your core, you're not working on your back. So you have very puffed up, built up bicep, but the rest of the body is not in the greatest shape, right? So how do we actually teach organizations that they need to build capability consistently across every single division and then work on the siloing, right? And one of the issues that we actually see over and over again that, you know, nobody really has incentive on digital commerce or e-commerce. You know, nobody's incentivized for change. And I think that really fundamentally needs to change because the teams are still thinking the functional team first. And then, of course, they're going to have some of the corporate goals of hitting specific revenue margin goals. But for a lot of those teams, that becomes very abstract, right? So they know they can impact it, but unless they are sales, they know they cannot drive revenue directly. So I think we need to kind of recognize where we are within the space and you know what it's going to take to win the future. And that's really going to be the key. And just to build on that, Oscar, that you nailed that, that measurement piece, that KPI piece is literally, if we oversimplify, is the holy grail. It is the root cause of all these bad behaviors. And Ultimately, yes, there are eight factors of change, but probably the most important one is what we call organizational enablement, which is like the eighth one we talk about. But you are what you measure. You are what your reward system is. You are what your motivation and incentive system is. And if you are on the e-com team, then you're being measured on e-com. If you're not on the e-com team and you're loosely connected, but it's not in your goals and that's not what's going to get you promoted or keep you at the company and retain you. It's not that you have like a bad intention. It's that like you're, you're doing what matters to your progression or your you know, sustainability in the organization. And so if we literally fix the KPIs, almost everything else will unravel very quickly in a positive direction because even if you don't like, even if you say, well, I'm now measured on it, but I don't know how to do it. Well, you're going to seek out education. And if enough people in the organization now are seeking out education and you don't have the program, you're going to get one or you're going to develop one. And if you don't have the capabilities, you're going to seek the partners. And so at the end of the day, you are what you measure. And so that sounds so simple. It's not to do this across an entire organization and change management, the KPIs, but that is the root cause. But it's one of the eight factors that can really lead to truly successful change. Great. That's a really great snippet. And I think gives people a sense of what you've put together here. Could you share a couple of super tactical actions that e-commerce professionals can take to evangelize internally? For sure. And we touch on a few of these to make sure that the ebook didn't feel like a textbook. Right. We kept it a little bit light, you know, some levity in there and fun, obviously, with the theme and just to make it edutaining. But we're going to double click into it on an upcoming webcast talking about Sheard, which is available to everybody coming up, which you might find very interesting. But we double click and we plan to actually have kind of make arguably Sheard kind of a series where we double click into each of these because it is more than just I named eight things, go do them. There's some undercurrent you know, strategies and tactics. But again, the e-com leaders, this kind of goes back to what Oscar shared and then what we were talking about around do we fight the good fight or do we cut bait and run? This is what's exciting. At the end of the day, if you're actually assessing your organization, there are a finite number of leaders that you need to go bring over from the dark side, if you will, mm -hmm. like turn over to the Jedi, right? Work that room. 
go meet with them, right? Or get your boss to help you go meet with them. Listen for their barriers. Ask about them. What's holding you back? Like disarm them in a one-to-one or a one-to-two meeting where they don't have to save face. They can really be honest and they can go like, yeah, like we had Oscar and I both had a president of a business unit who's very, very good, who literally said to us, like, I totally love your story. And then they said, and I'm protecting their innocence here, but they said, I'm literally not allowed to do this in my PL. And hmm. like my boss isn't letting me do this. Now, that could have been a completely easy excuse, but it was complete sincerity in the response, meaning their KPIs. Literally, the person who could do anything, like you would think the president of the business unit isn't really being enabled to do that because their KPIs didn't change, right? So, and obviously they couldn't do everything we asked, but they didn't feel that they could do even most of what we asked or half of what we asked because their KPIs. So it's really about like interview the influencers and go get those people. And then if they start, you know, profitizing and evangelizing it too, and you've answered their specific barriers, now they're on your side. It goes back to like, I can't tell you how many books I've read on like persuasion and negotiation, but like really become a student of that because that can help you. And you'll also learn from them too. You might go like, oh, I never thought about that. Or wow, you taught me something that's going to make me a better leader. Yep. That's great. That's really great tip. Thank you for that. So I've got some rapid fire questions for each of you. What are you excited about in the world of e-commerce and what have you changed your mind about? Oscar is a space farmer legitimately. And I say that with all the love in my heart. Like I always said, Oscar inspires me because Oscar is already on Mars spiritually terraforming the planet. And I'm still on Earth trying to build a spaceship to get to him. And so (laughs) for a better analogy, he's a cloud and I'm like a growing redwood tree trying to reach up to him. So Oscar, you're always telling me about the next thing. So what are you excited about? I mean, listen, number one, thank you. Number two, I am a space farmer. It's a running joke, but I grow a lot of, you know, indoor vegetables. So I have hydroponics grow tents in my basement where I'm experimenting with cucumbers, peppers, tomatoes. I've got a hydroponic herb farm too. So we can... If we're weirdos, so be it. That's what I say. Exactly. (laughs) But then what I'm doing is, you know, I have a little bit of a bent in terms of finance and basically trying to figure out ROI, yield, prediction, how AI could actually help hydroponics. So that's kind of like my passion project. But what I'm in general excited about in the world of e-commerce is a few things. Number one is, I honestly think we have not done justice to personalization, right? Jeff Bezos basically wanted to build store of everything. And that store of everything created a situation where we have millions of ASINs and people are just overwhelmed with decisions. Just there are too many products, right? So how can we actually create super personalized stores that over time learn about our preferences? So for example, if I'm eating clean food and I'm really paying attention to ingredients and I absolutely hate canola oil, don't show me products with canola oil because they are not that relevant to me, right? So help me to kind of go through the journey. So that's number one. I think we need to do a justice to personalization. Number two is, I honestly think we have to bring e-commerce experiences where people are basically spending time. For years and years, we were actually talking about building out e-commerce stores in within gaming. So let's say if somebody's sitting and playing Call of Duty, 
or Fortnite, you know, why there is not a way for them to order snacks, you know, or any food, you know, directly, you know, within Xbox or Nintendo or PlayStation, right? So, you know, create this kind of a seamless experience because, you know, e-commerce fundamentally is like just, you know, shortening the time between desire and delight. So make it as seamless as possible. So I think we need to kind of transcend and get out of e-commerce 2.0. And the 3.0 for me is not only the metaverse and building e-commerce there, but really kind of embedding e-commerce much closer to the people, right? Maybe in the car, you know, maybe within video games, you know. So there are different ways of actually embedding e-commerce and making it much more transactable. So, but yeah, and of course, everybody talks about metaverse. And, you know, over the holidays, I actually sent Chris Oculus Quest 2 because he was a little <laughs> very about this. So maybe he can answer what have you changed your mind about? And maybe he's now a fan of metaverse. So I'm excited about multiple things. So again, Oscar, I had an aversion to video games and because of some experiences with friends in my early days, like getting like addicted. Hmm. So I just had this like aversion to like getting sucked into games, but I know games are still fun and, that, and that's awesome. But Oscar did expose me to the early entry point into the metaverse. And I'm telling you, when I say that, I already feel old saying that. Like I've been passed by, <laughs> even though I haven't. Like it's real, it's coming. We're going to be talking about the meta shelf soon. It's not going to be the digital shelf, even though you know, proverbially it's still the digital shelf. It'll be the meta shelf. That's how you'll be engaging it. So I'm excited about that, even though I obviously we'd only be like playing out what the perfect way of doing that is. But whether, you know, we've already got Forever 21 and Samsung opening up you know, their own stores and like kind of gamified experiences in the metaverse. It's going to continue to come to Oscar's point about why it wasn't already in the video games of the past. It's going to be in the metaverse. And if you've ever seen the movie Ready Player One, you should watch that. You don't have to like the movie or the plot. That is a future that looks really close to what could be real, like good, bad, or indifferent. It's a reality that we might be much closer because they forecasted that might. 2045 or something like that. So we're not that far away here. I think that could be sooner, but I am excited about that. And I'm also excited about some of the models that might be a bridge in between, or they might be part of the future. Walmart in-home delivery, which got stunted a little bit during COVID, but essentially is being expanded to like 30 million households now, essentially is Walmart building their own infrastructure slowly but surely into your home. So kind of like we all have you know, unless you've unleashed yourself, we have like our own like, you know, mobile carriers, you know, for our cell service and whatnot, and our Wi-Fi. It'd be like, they're like the operating system of retail in your home. So right now they now deliver into your home, into the pantry and, and the fridge. Who's to say with smart fridges and smart pantries and smart shelves or some other Patents. There's some patents that Walmart put out a couple years ago about a consignment pantry. Who's to say that Walmart or Amazon or Tesco or Woolworths or wherever you are in the world doesn't end up embedding themselves into your house or your apartment? They replenish your stuff and your stuff isn't, you don't pay for it until you use it. What mm -hmm. if it was on consignment in my house? So the last mile is literally the last few feet because I just, Oh, I want a snack. Let me go up. Oh, there's some Pringles. And maybe the food becomes our food and products become more individual sized 
so that we don't have a family size bag that we're wasting because we opened it and now have to pay for it. So I'm excited about some of those. I'm also like, you know, there's the store hailing. So kind of like Uber, like you'd actually hail the store to come to you. So we may end up having self-driving, you know, convenience stores and RoboMart is a company that's already piloting this in California. They've got a pharmacy and a convenience store on wheels, self-driving that come to you. And so in my mind, that's almost like the drug and convenience stores of the future that are still physical. They come to you. You don't go to them. And then the rest of the stuff is just in your house already ready for you. So there's a lot of cool stuff here. That's cool. All right, guys. Well, tell us a little bit more about First Mover and also how people can get a hold of Sheard. So we are, and Oscar and I just recently, I think, better articulated what we are because we have like Nike level ambition to be like the Nike of our industry. We want to be like a work style brand, if you will, or an impact style brand. But the way we word is we're your satellite center of excellence or COE for e-commerce education and change management. And the reason we kind of say that is because whether it's the research or the partnerships or the events or the trainings or the assessments or the advisory that we offer, we plug and play to be an orbiting extension of the center of excellence that companies with or without them can use. We actually read a book called Future Proof recently that Mm, was very inspiring to us. It's a good read. I highly recommend it. And Oscar very aptly pulled out a phrase that I think really represented what we do for organizations. It's we explain, train, and sustain. And so, you know, and explain isn't to be like explain and like you don't understand. It's more of like the concept of educating, more broad education, sharing out insights and research. Training is actually getting hands-on in the organization, helping upskill everyone. And then sustain is helping assess strategies, assess performance, assess capabilities, recommends, you know, paths forward and partnerships. And we're doing all of this for a ton of companies. And so it was really nice to like, come out with a way to articulate that. So we're really excited. We're in our third calendar year this year, 18 months old, which in e-commerce years, Carrie, you know, is like Mm -hmm. a million years. But I know you've celebrated recently your seven-year anniversary. So we have now a new milestone to go after is to match bobsled marketing. (laughs) But Sheared is really easy to get because it is free. The only thing you'd have to sign up for would be the, the webcast so you can get the link to it. If you go to firstmover.com, and remember, firstmover has no E because there's no E in e-commerce anymore. Firstmover.com forward slash sheared is our main kind of landing experience. And in that, you can download the free PDF of Sheared. It's a really easy read and fun, we promise you. And then right below that, you can see the link to the upcoming webcast on February 1st. We're going to actually go into Sheared a little more in depth. And then we've got a brand panel with some fellow first movers out there from Colgate, Bayer, and Clorox, as well as our friends at Profitero will be joining as well, since some of their research on their latest benchmark report was really great reason to believe for some of the change factors and bad behaviors we were seeing. But also, you know, not to spoiler alert, you know, Kiri, you're exciting stuff, but you all have an assessment and some research as well that we got a sneak peek at that helped inspire some of our content as well. So we're you'll see both the Profitero research, but also the available assessment from Bobsled and a teaser so that you can sign up to get the research and join the webcast coming up 
from Kiri and the team. So what's cool, as Kiri said when we shared this with her, great minds think alike across the world, even when we aren't talking to one another. And so we were all thinking very similar streams of inspiration here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really excited to have sort of come to some similar conclusions and be sharing the message out with our industry because we are at the forefront of a lot of change and very encouraging messages from you guys around what people can do to meaningfully affect change within their organizations. Thank you so much for joining me, Chris and Oscar. I'll look forward to the next conversation. You bet. Thank you so much.